Before we get into today's broadcast, I want you to hear a song I recorded called Blessed Be Your Name. And if you like what you hear, visit my website, awakenedtograce.com. Click the store link, and if you like the products that we create, well, when you purchase those products, every dollar goes to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like on the platform you're listening to right now. I hope you enjoy this song, Blessed Be Your Name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour down on turns back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still.
my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today on this edition, we are talking about a woman that Jesus encounters in this region of the Gentiles called Tyre and Sidon. This woman, the Bible identifies her as a Syro. Phoenician. And I am going to explain each phrase of this today. I'm going to show you why she's called a Syrophoenician, why that was so important in the day that Jesus walked the earth, and what it means for Christ followers today. Oh, the lessons that we're going to learn, the principles that we're going to draw from Mark chapter 7. I'm so glad you're with me today on this episode of Awakened to Grace. Now what's interesting to me is that while Mark records more miracles than any other gospel, Mark is a fast-moving text, right? Remember we keep saying it's like a moving script. It's fast-moving. Remember the key word of the book of Mark, which I think is in verse 25? Remember what it is? Immediately. What does immediately mean? In the Greek, it's ethos, E-U-T-H-O-S. It's used 45 times just in the gospel of Mark. Think about that. It's only used 41 times in the entire New Testament apart from Mark. And just in the small gospel of Mark, it's used 45 times. Why? Because Mark is driving us. He's pushing us. There's an urgency to decide, are you going to follow Christ or not? It's leading you to a decision point. And let me tell you, the Syrophoenician woman is a beautiful example of deciding to follow Jesus. So he uses the word immediately because there's an urgency here. Now, Matthew, on the other hand, when you read the account in the book of Matthew, Matthew is going to give us a lot more detail. And do you know why? <laughs> Matthew, before he began to follow Jesus, was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in Israel. Because do you know how the job of a tax collector worked? The emperor in Rome would tell the governor of this area, in this case Pontius Pilate and King Herod, he would tell these men, you're going to pay X amount of dollars to Rome in taxes. So just to make it up and to make it easy, he would say, you're going to pay Rome $100 in taxes. What the governors would do is then they would go to whoever was over the district, and they would say, you're going to pay taxes out of people, and you're going to pay $125. And then they would go get their tax collectors, like Matthew, and they would say, you're going to pay $150. And then the sleazy tax collectors, like Matthew, would go to the people and say, you're going to pay $175. And do you see how everybody got a little bit off the top? That not a lot has changed. (laughs) 
Then Matthew gets converted. And he takes his little tax table. And he walks away and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. But see, Matthew would have had to have had a great skill in that day. To be a tax collector, do you know what skill you had to have? The ability to write shorthand. Let me tell you, friends, many of you have got unique skills. And if you would offer those skills to the kingdom of God, you wouldn't believe how God would use your skills. You know how I believe God used Matthew's shorthand? Matthew was able to write verbatim the discourses of Jesus. Why? He had shorthand. Matthew tells us more details. Why? Because of his ability for shorthand. Isn't that interesting? So Matthew tells us a lot more to the story. I want you to notice what Matthew is going to share with us about this story. If you're going to take notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus ignores her. This fascinates me. Matthew tells us that when she began to plead with him, he answered her not a word. What is going on? Is Jesus in that bad of a mood? Is Jesus just so tired and so exhausted that he don't want to deal with her? Or is there a deeper reason why? He answered her not a word. I don't know if you have ever faced the silence of God, but it's a troubling thing. I don't know if you've ever poured your heart out to the Lord and it seemed like God was silent. It seemed like you were being ignored. Like the Syrophoenician woman, could it be that there's way more going on than what you and I realize? Now, number two, another thing that Matthew's going to tell us that Mark leaves out is that the disciples were annoyed by her. So not only has Jesus ignored her, now the disciples reject her. The disciples are annoyed and they say to Jesus, send her away. Why? Because remember, the Greek word for beg in Mark 7, 26 is pluralistic. She is following them, begging them. And the disciples are so annoyed, they're saying, get her out of here, Jesus. I can hear the disciples. This is our, this is our staff retreat. We're on vacation. I am not up here in Tyre and Sidon to help somebody. I'm here to get, I'm here to relax. Now, let me ask you a question. When you're extremely tired, do people get on your nerves? I can kind of understand it from the disciples. I get that they're annoyed. I understand that. But how can Jesus ignore her? How could he, how could he even not say a word to her? The disciples, I understand, because they're human. Christ is divine. Could it be that there's more going on than meets the eye? So the disciples are annoyed. They say, put her away. And she presses in. I want you to look with me back in Mark 7, verse 27. I want you to look at what Jesus says to her. He says something 
stunning, shocking. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Not only was she ignored, not only was she rejected, number three, she could have been highly insulted. You know what most people in our culture today would have done? They would have said, Jesus, I asked you for help, and that's how you treat me? Forget it. And they would have walked away sorrowful. But not this woman. What did Jesus mean? It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. How many of you have dogs? And you know I can't see you. Why do you raise your hands on a blind pastor? Some of you just raise your hand like I'm looking right at you. <laughs> I've known my CPA for a while now, and uh, I was meeting with her not long ago, and I mean, I was talking to her right across the desk, and she gets up and goes, get, grabs a folder or something and stands beside me, and she's showing me all the financial figures, and I'm just looking at her like, and then when she sees my confused look, she goes, oh, Chad, I'm so, I forget you're blind. <laughs> Many of you know, I won't go off on too bad of a rabbit trail here, but some of you know my precious dog, Sam. We had him put down after 13 years a few weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago. We, Sadie and I, were married in March of 09, and we got Sam in February of 09 from the pound. And he was our dog. And let me tell you, my kids, all four of our kids, the, the, within five minutes of bringing them home from the hospital, he licked all four right up the back of the head, and bam, they're part of the family. And our kids, as they would be toddlers and get older, all of our kids had to learn. You don't turn your back with food with Sam because he'd always get it, right? And in the early days, Sam would follow me hoping I would feed him. But as our kids came along, I noticed he always hung around the youngest one because he knew they would drop the most food, right? What in the world does Jesus mean by what seems like an insult of the century? It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What, what in the world? Well, first of all, let's understand. Again, Matthew's going to help us. He's going to tell us in chapter 15. Jesus tells the woman, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. What it is saying, let's understand some important theology here. The priority of Jesus was to come to the Jew first. And what does John 1, 11 and 12 say? He came to his own. His own received him not. But to as many as did believe, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. To those who believed in his name. He gave them the power to become the sons, daughters of God. That's us now. But the gospel first came to the Jew. That was the purpose of Christ's coming. And what he's saying is, I have made a banquet feast for the Jew first. Now, 
Are the Gentiles going to be part of that? Yes, that was always part of God's plan. We are grafted in. And now according to Romans 1, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. It's all the kingdom of God. And one day, you're talking about a table, one day you and I are going to feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. But the priority first was the Jew. Now, she could have been highly offended by this. But watch what her faith does. So Jesus says, it's not right. It wouldn't be right. As much as I loved Sam, it wouldn't be right for my children to go hungry and yet I feed Sam. There's an order. There's a divine order. And so Jesus says, it's not right to feed the dogs. Now, in our culture, that's insulting. In his culture, whoo! So what's he saying? Well, the Greek word for dog would have meant a scavenger, like, uh, you know, dogs in this day, few were domesticated, few were used as pets. Dogs were seen as highly unclean, and they would roam towns and villages in packs. They were scavengers. And that's how a Jew would view a Gentile. In Jewish culture in this day, you could be ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean just by being around a Gentile. And they referred to Gentiles as dogs. You can look up the Greek word there. It's, it starts with a K. I'm sorry it's failing my memory. But Jesus does not use the normal Greek word for dog here, which would have been a scavenger. He uses a different word. Matter of fact, if you're reading a New King James Version today, you'll notice that your New King James Bible says little dog. What's, what do the translators mean by little dog? What Jesus, he, the, the Greek word he uses is that of a domesticated puppy. Bringing a little puppy into your home. Now something happened when Jesus used this analogy. This woman, <laughs> she got a glimmer of hope from what Jesus said, and she, her faith took hold of it. She knew what Jesus was saying. And instead of being entitled, instead of going with arrogance, instead of having pride in her heart, you know what this woman is saying? This woman is saying, Jesus, you are right. There is a divine order. Jesus, I'm not worthy of anything. Jesus, I don't deserve anything. And you know what she says? Oh, the faith. This woman says, yes, Lord. Oh, we got to go back to Matthew 7 or 15 for a moment. We got to go back to Matthew 15 to really understand what's happening. Say amen if you're with me right now. We're going to dig right now. Here's some gold. Three times this woman says, Yes, Lord, to Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because do you remember way back in Mark chapter 2 weeks ago? Do you remember when the man, the paralytic man, was lowered down from the roof and Jesus forgives the man's sin? Do you remember what the Pharisees said in their heart? How can this man do such things? Do you remember what we said about that? The Greek term, this man, was a derogatory statement. 
what they were saying in their hearts. He calls himself the son of God. All he is is but flesh. He's just a man, just like everybody else. Do you remember when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus rebukes the wind and calms the waves? Do you remember what the disciples said? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Do you remember Jesus, his own family came to get him, his brothers and sisters, because they thought he was out of his head. Do you remember even the people of his own hometown last week in chapter six? They didn't believe him. They said, why, this is the son of the carpenter. Jesus, my foot. He grew up three doors down from me. Jesus, son of God. I taught his Sunday school class. Jesus, I knew him when he was seven years old. Son of God, Messiah. (sighs) Yeah, right. Oh, but not this Syrophoenician woman. Do you know what? God put faith in her heart. And do you know what she calls him in Matthew chapter 15? She calls him Lord three different times, and she gives him, she calls him the messianic title for Jesus. She says, son of David. Friends, you know the weightiness of that? She was saying, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah. You're the very son of God. Amen. Even the disciples haven't come to this point yet. Next chapter is Peter's great confession. And here Jesus encounters all these demons and every demon he encounters, what do they do? They say, thou art the Christ. And the disciples are scratching their heads saying, who is he? And this woman, oh, her faith, she says, you're the the son of David. You're the Lord. You're the son of God. And when she was ignored, and when she was rejected, and would it would have seemed as though she was insulted, do you know what her faith does? Her faith says, yes, Lord, I'm not worthy of a thing. I get it. I understand it. Friends, I want you to know today, this woman did not have a fragile faith. She had a faith that was tenacious. And let me tell you, I don't want a fragile faith today. I want a faith that is persistent. I want a faith that is tenacious, that even in my flesh, if I feel like God is ignoring me, even in my flesh, if I feel like God has abandoned me, even in my flesh, if I feel like God doesn't care, I don't quit, I don't give in, I press in all the more, amen. This was the kind of faith this woman had. And what a precious, precious gift it is. Do you know what we learned from this woman? We learned that God's delays are never God's denials. And what does your faith do when it seems as though God has delayed you? Does your faith quit? Does your faith give up? Or does your faith press in? I want to press in, amen? And look what she says to the Lord. She says, yes, Lord. But even 
the dogs, the little ones, the puppies. Even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.